Welcome to the Bridge Builders Coalition podcast, a behind-the-scenes look at how we developed our program model for social isolation. We welcome your insights and your thoughts. over on two of the sheets, I think, or one of the sheets. I can't remember, but okay. I didn't get a chance to look at the rest, but I will right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wanted to, one, I know we have now like 50 minutes, and I don't think, um, I crammed a lot into this agenda because I think with just kind of short answers, we can start to formulate more of a foundation for what a program will look like, because right now it's just foundational stuff, right? Um, a lot of ideology, theory, all that good stuff. But um, from that, hopefully, we can formulate something tangible that we can put into action, even if we're feeding into perhaps some existing services. And that I really am not even quite sure what truly exists out there and that addresses social isolation. But um, hopefully, we can pad that or create a new one. We'll just see how it kind of comes out. But what I thank you so much. But what I, I wanted to do, um, and particularly what was, again, a Kickstarter for me, was that I wanted to have folks who are already entrenched in this work and maybe leading the charge on social isolation involve us in some way, shape, or form in the work that they were doing. So I initially reached out to Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, so they're a very large healthcare funder, the largest nationally, to see if I could get someone to come in and talk, and that just didn't go anywhere yet. Um, and then I also reached out to MIT's Age Lab, and so was very happy when the research scientist <laughs> responded to me. Um, and when she shared her work, and I did also send you guys the uh, uh, paper that they did, that's more just on you know people who are already kind of predisposed to be out and about and engaged, and so as I looked at all of this growing you know base of research, where research is lacking is those who really aren't able to engage in that way and be drawn out in that way. So how do you conduct outreach for those hard to reach people? That's missing. And I think if that's missing, and I, in all of our work we find that to be an element of what we do, then how do we as a group kind of bridge that gap for those people who thus far have been unreachable? And I think that's where we kind of find our place and give voice to the evidence base because it doesn't exist right now. And that's just my thinking because I'm just looking at gaps. Where are the gaps? And can we, as a region, fill those gaps? And I think we can. I think we can. Um, so anyway, I really didn't want to do a whole lot of talking today, with the exception of just to kind of explain my, my thinking on why I did what I did. Um, I looked at maybe about seven or eight research papers, some which I identified and referenced in um, the logic model. But what I found across all of those, um, all of that information, were these pockets that were needed for a good intervention. So, 
foundational services, which spoke to the identification piece, the outreach piece, um, the gatekeepers, those who know about those who are socially isolate, uh, isolated, how do you get them to assess for social isolation? And then the direct interventions, which mainly center on um, these outside activities. But what if people aren't there yet? Then how do you, you get them to kind of move toward that connection? And I think we talked about it last time. It, it's going to be a step approach, a layered approach. And then it was about um, found information on structural support. So partnership building, which we all know is very important. Collaboration. Who do we need to connect to to move our program forward? And then evaluation. We have to, if we want to be seen as a force in moving this needle, then we have to evaluate individually. We have to evaluate as a team. We just have to feed into the growing evidence of why social isolation exists and then what works as far as fighting, fighting it and then preventing it. So that's kind of why I have those different components listed. So one of the things I wanted to spend um, time on today was just going through this agenda that asks a few questions and then making some determinations so we just have in our mind what is priority for us. Um, we all live in older adult world, or most of us do, but we explained and shared that it's important that this is an intergenerational approach because young people are suffering just as much as older adults. We know this to be true. So how do we then bring these two folks, these two groups together? So who do we truly want to reach out to and who's the lowest hanging fruit that we can pilot a program on because we have to start somewhere right um, and so probably better to go small than to go big at this point and just say okay who are we all touching and how can we touch them a bit more effectively and more focused so um, the final determination of priority populations to address do we at this table think that we should just start with older adults because it's just easiest to we're, do that. We're already there. Yeah, yeah, we are already there. So we can just say we'll start with that population. With older adults, and we all touch them, what barriers do your folks face? Like we can talk about transportation is always an issue. I mean, what, what are they challenged by that has caused them then in turn to be isolated? I'd say difficulty usually, with, oh sorry, go ahead. Usually um, because they're taking care of someone else who's ill, mm. caretakers. Yeah, that, that is a big piece. They just can't get out. Yeah. Also, there if they have any issues with ambulation or, or mobility, mm. it's you know to get out somewhere. It may take them two or three hours just to get out the door or safely mm. get to their car with with the person that's maybe their aide or something else or a family member. Okay. Anything else? I think depression can disable. Mm. Pardon? Depression, depression can disable. That kind of goes with folks who might have recently lost their spouse. Yep. So now they're, they don't, it's, like, it's almost well, like they don't know what to do. That's mm -hmm. huge, and so they just yeah. don't do anything. Yeah. 
That's when loneliness really sets in. Yeah. After they finish the caretaking yeah. and the so, person. So one group can be people who have lost somebody, mm -hmm. uh, their spouse, in the last year or two. And then there are others who have just been so isolated so long that they just can't do anything anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like their new normal, just yeah. to not. But then even like you were saying, like folks who have ambulation issues, like they, I feel like they are constantly limiting their lives. Mm -hmm. um, so they, they are slowly scaling back. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like I have a client who used to be super, super active, but the only thing she does now is she goes to the library to read, which is great because, you know, you see people in your in a mm -hmm. environment, but like it's very, very hard to get her to to list anything else or talk about anything else that she could do because... She knows that moving around is such a challenge. And so she'll automatically just, well, I can't do that. And I, I, you know. How do we combat that? Because if, in some cases, that is absolutely true. They are limited. There's nothing much that can be done for them to help that. But then there, I mean, there are levels of that. So can we, or would it be too large an effort, too big an effort to try to assess like the levels and where we can come in and address and then kind of move someone forward from a particular level? Like, is that too much? I don't think it's too much. Okay. I think because I think it's helpful to kind of identify the, the differences because it's going to be, there's going to be so, you know, things are so case by case. Yeah. And... Like, I just think about, like, my mother. My mother wanted to go out a lot um, mm -hmm. before she passed. She just, her um, MS was limiting her. So she mm -hmm. loved to be out and yeah. loved to be out and about. But it hurt to get her into the uh, the transportation we had, the, the wheelchair lift and all that stuff. And it mm -hmm. just hurt, so she just didn't. Mm -hmm. So, but she wanted to. Well, I think the number one Barry who wanted to come today has always said, and we've been working on this for four to five years now, one size fits one. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think <clears throat> what we found too is trying to de de set out forth a program that can be copied just doesn't work. Because, like, you know, you're talking about and I know uh, a couple, three years ago I had foot surgery and I was on crutches most of the year. And you just don't care to go out because it just takes so much energy and the pain. Pain wears a person out. So I think the most important thing is we got to meet the people where they are. Um, trying to push somebody who is that much pain and stuff to go out and do things would be counterproductive. It would be working against their best need, their yeah. best um, needs. So I think you know we have to really think through very carefully. Um, and I know when you're you're dealing with your clients, you do the same thing. You know you. You look at the person, you see their needs, their limitations, what would really enrich their lives. 
Um, even myself now, I, I don't care to go as much as I used to go, go, go all the time. But I get home at night and I just <laughs> want to kick my feet up and watch yeah. the baseball game or something. Tonight I'm going to a game. But, uh, and, you know, I'm going to a game tonight, Wednesday night, Friday night, Sunday, <laughs> oh, Tuesday. Yeah. Because we have half-season tickets. And not as socially isolated. So, and then it, and we're not doing it, my son and I. I do it because I get to go and I get to spend time with my son. But it's now, looking at it going that much to the baseball game, it's no longer fun, it's a job. So, as one matures in life, and, you know, I got one more month before I'm 77, so I have some idea of what it feels like to get older. This year, it, things have caught up with me a little bit this year. So um, I, th- I think one of the challenges for people who are younger, when you have all that energy, when I was in my 40s, I felt like I had 100 horses running inside of me. You know, I had to go, 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 go. But people, when they get older, they don't have that anymore. Yeah, that's very true. So I think we got to be very careful not to overlay our feelings on people and really find out where mm-hmm. they're at. I think that's the most important thing uh, to deal with any human being. As now, Are you a social worker? I'm not. I'm a dementia consultant. Dementia consultant? Oh, well, then you know. Yeah. You, you have to assess every person... Every one of my clients is very different. On, yeah. yeah, and you, you you do social work, right? I mean, I do public health. I mean, I, we put caregivers in seniors' home homes. Home health, yeah. Home care, yeah. Again, you have to... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in our what conversations... Do what do are, you do? I haven't met you before. Um, I, I'm in real estate. Oh, so am I. Yeah. Oh, but I used to do counseling. So I do understand some of the uh, social issues and... and well, you know, in real estate, every, every transaction is totally different. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So, and but Jane I'm, is a social worker, so she knows that too. I am not. No, you're not? Oh. I've been a case manager, and I have been on the outskirts of social work, but more case management than anything, and... But in case, case management, it's the same thing. Yeah, pretty Every much. Every case is totally different. It is. It is. But then it's, so, there are also universal themes that, to replicate a program, sorry, um, we're going to have to attach those universal themes. But you're absolutely right. I don't think our goal is to so much connect. Like, a lot of the programs that have been funded are these efforts to physically connect people to the outside world. And that's not everyone's bag. I'm an introvert. I like it best when I have my time with people and then bye-bye, right? And I can, that can happen right in the middle of a meeting. It's like, okay, I'm done. I don't know what I'm doing. And so I don't need that constant interaction with people. And so we have to take these things into account. There was actually some an article that I printed out but didn't include in, in this logic model and everything about lessons you can learn from an introvert. Because in the end, what do we want? When we talk about empowering people and all this kind of stuff, we want them to have a greater sense of self. So when they want to connect, they can. And then when they want to retract, and that's fine. We are not trying to determine what 
connection looks like for someone. We're just giving people opportunities and avenues to explore that. Like that's in my mind, that's where we're at. Yeah. But it could be something else. Right. You know? For for us, um, so whenever I talk to a senior and you can see how their world has become limited, the conversation is not so much you should get out once a day, you should take your vitamins, blah blah blah, but it is what are the things that make you smile? What are the things that yeah. you know make your heart feel full? I cannot guess what quality of life experiences will will make somebody happy. Even for my own father, who I've known for a long time, I can guess. I may get about half of them, but there's probably a whole bunch that he knows what makes him happy. Thank you for joining us for episode one. Where do we fit in? Tune in next week for episode two. You know, he can sit on his iPad listening to old school Bollywood music for hours and he gets completely lost in it and he loves it. I could not do that if you paid me. Maybe if you paid me. (laughs) Like, I would need to keep doing something else also. And he just, I mean, he's smiling on his face. Like, just, you can see he's enjoying that. Um, But again, like, it is, that's, he's not connecting with anybody when he's just doing that. You know, so my, like, in an instance like that, I'd be like, why don't you go to a concert with a friend? You know, or something like you can then offer those suggestions after you have, after we have those conversations with our clients when we're like, list me, list five things that you like doing. Yeah. And then let's slowly build and have a conversation on mm-hmm. how can we get those things done? Is it a transportation issue? Is it, you know, is it a money issue? Is there a free event? Is there a, you know, can a young person join you? Can mm-hmm. whatever. And then that's usually how we get some sort of shift in the way that our clients are thinking or feeling or whatever it is. Um, that's been my, but I mean, that, that is a process. Like yeah. that just no, never happens within that first hour that I meet them. It is like, you know, a second, third, like peeling back the layers yeah. when they, and trust is a big thing, oh, you know, yes. like if they don't. Question to everyone. Yeah. Are your clients and were you, when you were, um, had the surgery open to having home visitors? Let me tell you what was one of the things that really my church decided for about 10 weeks of it or so to bring in meals. And then the people not only, they didn't just drop off the meal and run, they would come in and talk. And I really got to know some people in depth and some of their issues, but because I'm you know, I'm trained in counseling, so for years of training counseling. So, you know, I all of a sudden <laughs> flipped and, you know, they were telling me all their trials and tribulations. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that makes one feel valuable. Yes, absolutely. Because you're giving something. We all want to give something. And I think the problem that happens with people who get stuck in, you know, they can't get out, they can't give anymore. And they 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 feel humiliated by somebody taking care of them all the time. It takes away their humanity. So what we need to figure out is how to let 
people give. Mm -hmm. Even if they tell stories. One of the things I'm thinking of doing eventually when I retire, which I don't know when it will be, but you know, and I'm, I've got my application into Greenspring, and if I'm not working anymore, I want to just go around and get everybody's story. Sit down with people and get their life story. Just listen to their life story. So I have a job for you then. <laughs> so if you, I was going to say, so you ask, that's what I do. That's what I do is I go into people's homes and see them one-on-one -on -one and visit them, whether it's once a week or up to four times a week. So I'm physically going to them because they can't get out. Some of them are, they can go out. They just don't want to go out with their aid or they don't want to go out with other people. So if that's the goal that we, yeah. that's, that's my, that's my role to get them out. So they enjoy that. Absolutely. Oh yeah. So they welcome visitors. My clients do. I've got 14 clients I see on a weekly basis. Um, some of them, as I mentioned, 14, four times a week. So they're apps, they, they, it's a big smile on their face, but it's all about the trust. You know, they mm -hmm. have to get to know you and then, mm -hmm. then they look forward to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You too, probably, right? Yeah. So maybe part of the program could be home visit. And you know, um, Alexandria okay. has a fantastic, they're, they're oh, senior, 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 the senior service yeah, of Alexandria I, has mm -hmm. the, the senior friendly visitor program. Yeah, or the yeah senior friendly visitor, visitor yeah. Yeah, and it's just actually through their nonprofit I know um, where they have people that volunteer. That. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I will, I will actually get, so we, we're, always, we're always hiring caregivers. Um, and every now and then we will have um, older women who are just going to be like, can I volunteer? So it's not even so much because what we've seen with, with our clients, it's, and it's not just like, oh, anybody can come by and drop by. It's a lot of, you know, for, for us, when we, when we partner a caregiver with a client, the hard skills that we provide as far as, you know, actual personal care, everyone's trained in, right? So they know how to do all that, how to give a bath, how to assist with training. Right. The art and sort of the magic of it is the personality fit. Right. Um, the interest. Do they share that? Can they communicate on a level where it, the, you know, they're, they're both of the both people are getting value, right? Because that's my my goal is not only is my client getting value, but are my team members getting value? Um, because I don't want them just to look at it as a job. I mean, I know it's their job, but. Again, something more <coughs> should should be there to draw you to that work, um, and that, and that's kind of why I wonder even just like pairing with like young people and mm -hmm. and that when when we do our quality of life plans with our clients, we're really trying to draw out what their interests are or what they were. Um, so if I see a photo of somebody on a horse, you know, oh, do you love animals? Do you like horseback riding? Do you? It's just a conversation piece to keep going. Otherwise, they'll quickly they will quickly shut down. And be like, okay, I guess the aid's here, but I know what you know. Most of us who've been around a while love to talk about when we were younger. Yeah, but yeah, and it, you and probably it's, noticed it's, that with your clients too. Right? Yeah, I mean, and I don't mind. I mean, I, I enjoy those conversations, but I think one of the things that could be universal is the questions to ask, at least those starter questions mm. to get people yeah. to open yeah. up, um, and and not make it feel like. I see you have a problem. <laughs> no, we don't want Let that. Me, let's talk about that. Um, no. But like how to, and I think that's kind of where there's a little bit more of the art. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I'll, my first client interaction did not go very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's like over time you learn how to sort of 
gently talk about things or you, you, you truly observe the environment that they're in mm -hmm. so you can find points of connection. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, you know, that is, that's, it's practice, right? I mean, like, oh yeah, it's, it's definitely, I remember my first clients I had, it just was, it was not, you know, it was, it, the interaction was great, but I just kind of felt like I'm asking the right questions. Am I doing this? But then you just get a flow. So when you talk to other people, it just flows better and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like you're interviewing them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the that's beginning is hard. Yeah, just because you don't know. Well, and especially because I work with those with dementia or cog mild cognitive impairment, you don't know their abilities quite yet either. To either, so I have to kind of figure that out while I'm talking with them. Because you don't want to set them up to fail. Yeah, either. exactly. I don't want to ask part. too many yeah. hard questions or yeah. questions where they're not really sure how they feel about Maybe it. Maybe open-ended question mm -hmm. is. Yeah. That's all I ask. What would is you like to share with me yeah. about yourself? Wow. Yeah. yeah. If somebody asked me that question, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, that's a hard well, question, too. Well, you can too. then say that, and then I would lead you. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't would say that. Say? I wouldn't... I, um, one of the things that I say to people when I meet them sometimes, um, especially in coffee hour after church, I say, what's one great thing that happened to you this past week? What's something that made you happy this week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, or, what are you looking forward to this week? You know. Um, Do you think? Um, you know, sometimes you say to people, you know, well, when you when you were younger, when you went on a vacation, did you ever have a vacation that you really liked? Mm -hmm. It really still you remember mm -hmm. and you can see I mean if somebody asked me where I was when Kennedy was killed mm -hmm. I can tell you I can see in my head exactly the type of day it was it was a cloudy misty day mm -hmm. I was standing between the chapel and another building on campus mm -hmm. I can tell you where I was when Martin Luther King was shot I was in the commons at the seminary I can tell you when I saw open turned on the television and I saw that Bobby Kennedy mm -hmm. and the senator was standing here when he got shot, they said, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of those things, you know, that's what really get people going. Is. That's true. But then a, a question, and I asked this to a group of social workers when I was a, a case manager, because I was kind of disheartened by the conversation. We were in some workshop, and I forget yeah. exactly what it was. But they were talking about the toolbox, and everyone has their toolbox, and all of these things that they pull out to have these interactions with people. And I'm sitting there like, this is so incredibly stupid. Like, um, why can't you just be a human talking to a human? You know, we all have, I've had fantastic and life-changing conversations at a bus stop or sitting yeah, by someone yeah, in the metro, yeah, yeah. because you just are open to someone else being in your presence. And so you don't have to overthink questions and all of these things. When we first met, it's like, oh, we just, you know, just well, in, you in an I, elevator. You and, and I, too, yeah. at that uh, meeting at, uh, oh, where was that again? Uh, um, at, uh, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. We met that night. We, yeah. 
talked on and on and on and on. True, but it's just it's just being open to and you know what God brings before you and whatever whether that's human form or something else, just being open to that experience will instantly connect you on so and that's just my thinking, right? But so well, that's but one I, of the things that we have to think about is mm-hmm. when we if we ever start a program of training people just to be open to look for something that really develop commonality. That is uh, important. If I meet somebody and they got a Green Bay Packer jacket on, yes. I can talk to them for two hours. I'm sure. <laughs> you know? Or somebody's got a Nats jacket on. Nats. I, I, I have a, well, I have a, a PowerPoint presentation that I do for actually some different home cares and for care managers on meaningful engagement. But mine's more, mine's, it can be, it could apply for somebody that doesn't have memory impairment, but Mm -hmm. it's really for those that have memory impairment. What that meaningful engagement looks like and different things you can, ideas to use. So those things, wait, let me just, those things then, and, and I know we need to move ahead, but those things we need to incorporate into this. That can be part of a very basic kind of assessment that perhaps, and we'll talk about the gatekeepers, can infuse into their bigger picture, and that will alert us to this is a person who can then go into this network that we create. So those are important things to list as we build the um, program, a resource for us and an activity for us that we can utilize that and utilize, hopefully in part, your assessment and utilize your counseling skills and your counseling skills to come up with those basic questions that can cause some immediate sense of relation to somebody. So I'm sorry, go ahead. What I was just going to say, piggybacking on what you said, simplicity is the key. Mm to reaching complexity. And what you're doing, your questions are very simple and basic. And I think we always tend to jump that step. That's where we make our biggest mistake. So, um, yeah. Very good point. Indeed. Anyway, I talked to you now. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. Um, okay. Gate I haven't heard too much from mm-hmm. She's taking it in. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, gatekeepers. So, I uncovered this term, and it seems to perhaps mean different things um, throughout certain research, but for the most part, the gatekeepers are traditional referral agencies. So, the people who, like... Um, let's say a Department of Human Services or a home care agency or somebody who sees and has contact with individuals who may fall under the social isolation umbrella. So how do we, and this was mentioned very briefly uh, moments ago, then how do we influence the gatekeepers to see social isolation as an issue that they need to assess for. Like, because it's not currently, I think, or maybe on a very small scale, and I'm, uh, I can't think of the agency, Bread for the City, that has added social isolation questions onto their greater assessment. This is an agency in DC. 
And so they understand that this is an issue and they need to capture it. Or it's just like the hospital, VHC, and I'm sure I know the system does as well. They'll um, question people on whether or not they have suicidal thoughts. But it's so cold and detached. I went there yeah. for my foot, and they were just asking me these questions. It's like, if I really was suicidal, I wouldn't say it to you right here. Yeah. You're not even looking at me as you well, ask the that's question. The dumbest it's horrible. Question to ask. It's horrible. But how do we then gently get the gatekeepers to include this as part of an assessment? And that includes us here sitting at the table because we have those touches, right? Mm -hmm. um, and formalizing, excuse me, where we can capture those people and then help those people. So that's just something to kind of think about. And then think about the points of entry. One thing that the research revealed was that for people who are isolated, particularly older adults, most of them maintain consistent contact with their healthcare provider. You know, he can sit on his iPad listening to old school Bollywood music for hours and he gets completely lost in it, and he loves it, I could not do that if you paid me. Maybe if you paid me, <laughs> but like, I would need to keep doing something else also. And he just, I mean, he's smiling on his face. Like, just, you can see he's enjoying that. Um, but again, like, it is, that's, he's not connecting with anybody right. when he's just doing that. You know, so my, like, in an instance like that, I'd be like, why don't you go to a concert with a friend? You know, or something like you can then offer those suggestions after you have, after we have those conversations with our clients when we're like, list me, list five things that you like doing. Yeah. And then let's slowly build and have a conversation on mm -hmm. how can we get those things done? Is it a transportation issue? Is it, you know, is it a money issue? Is there a free event? Is there a, you know, can a young person join you? Can whatever. And then that's usually how we get some sort of shift in the way that our clients are thinking or feeling or whatever it is. Um, that's been my, but I mean, that, that is a process. Like yeah. that just no, that never happens within that first hour that I meet them. It is like, you know, a second, third, like peeling back the layers yeah. when they, and trust is a big thing, oh, you know, yes. like if they don't, to everyone. yeah. Are your clients and you, when you were, um, had a surgery open to having home visitors? Let me tell you what was one of the things that really my church decided for about 10 weeks of it or so to bring in meals. And then the people not only, they didn't just drop off the meal and run, they would come in and talk. And I really got to know some people in depth and some of their issues, but because I'm you know, I'm trained in counseling, so for years of training counseling. So, you know, I all of a sudden <laughs> flipped and, you know, they were telling me all their trials and tribulations. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that makes one feel valuable. Yes, absolutely. Because you're giving something. We all want to give something. And I think the problem that happens with people who get stuck in, you know, they can't get out, they can't give anymore. Yeah. And they, think they, they feel can. humiliated by somebody taking care of them all the time. Yeah. It takes away their humanity. So what we need to figure out is how to let people give. Mm -hmm. Even if they tell stories, 
one of the things I'm thinking of doing eventually when I retire, which I don't know when it will be, but you know, and I'm, I've got my application into Greenspring, and if I'm not working anymore, I want to just go around and get everybody's story. Sit down with people and get their life story. Just listen to their life story. So I have a job for you then. <laughs> so if you, I was going to say, so you ask, that's what I do. That's what I do is I go into people's homes and see them one-on-one and visit them, whether it's once a week or up to four times a week. So I'm physically going to them because they can't get out. Some of them are, they can go out. They just don't want to go out with their aid or they don't want to go out with other people. So if that's the goal, that we, yeah. that's, that's, my, that's my role to get them out. So they enjoy that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So they welcome visitors. My clients do. I've got 14 clients I see on a weekly basis. Um, some of them, as I mentioned, 14, four times a week. So their apps, they, they, it's a big smile on their face, but it's all about the trust. You know, they mm-hmm. have to get to know you, and then, mm-hmm. then they look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You too, probably, right? Yeah. So maybe part of the program could be home visits. And you know, um, Alexandria has a fantastic. They're they're oh, senior senior, senior the senior service yeah, of Alexandria I, has the the senior friendly visitor program. Yeah, or the yeah senior friendly visitor. visitor, visitor. Yeah. yeah, and it's just actually through their nonprofit I know um, where they have people that volunteer. That. Yeah, oh, I will. I will funny. actually get so we, we're from always here. we're always hiring caregivers, um, and every now and then we will have um, older women who are just going to be like, "Can I volunteer?" So it's not even so much because what we've seen with with our clients, it's and it's not just like oh anybody can come by and drop by. It's a lot of you know for for us when we when we partner a caregiver with a client, the hard skills that we provide as far as you know actual personal care, everyone's trained in right. So they know how to do all that, how to give a bath, how to assist with toileting. The art and sort of the magic of it is the personality fit, right? Um, the interest. Do they share that? Can they communicate on a level where it, the, you know, they're, they're both of the both people are getting value, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. that's my my goal is not only is my client getting value, but are my team members getting value? Um, because I don't want them just to look at it as a job. I mean, I know it's their job, but. Again, something more <coughs> should should be there to draw you to that work, um, and that, and that's kind of why I wonder even just like pairing with like young people and mm-hmm. and that when when we do our quality of life plans with our client, we're really trying to draw out what their interests are or what they were. Um, so if I see a photo of somebody on a horse, you know, oh, do you love animals? Do you like horseback riding? Do you? It's just a conversation piece to keep going. Otherwise, they'll quickly they will quickly shut down. Be like, okay, I guess the aid's here, but and we'll just, you know. Most of us who've been around a while love to talk about when we were younger. Yeah, but yeah, and it, you and probably it's, noticed it's, that with your clients too. Right? Yeah, I mean, and I don't mind. I mean, I, I enjoy those conversations, but I think one of the things that could be universal is the questions to ask. At least those starter questions mm. to get people yeah. to open yeah. up, um, and and not make it feel like. I see you have a problem. <laughs> no, we don't want Let that. Me, let's talk about that. Um, no. But like how to, and I think that's kind of where there's a little bit more of the art. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, update, my first client interaction did not go very well. <laughs> um, but it's like over time you learn how to sort of gently talk about things or you, you 
you truly observe the environment that they're in, mm -hmm. so you can find points of connection. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, you know, that is, that's, it's practice, right? I mean, like, that's, oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I remember my first clients I had, it just was, it was not, you know, it was, it, the interaction was great, but I just kind of felt like, I'm asking the right questions, am I doing this? But then you just get a flow. So when you talk to other people, it just flows better and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like you're interviewing them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the beginning what, is hard. Yeah, just because you don't know. Well, and especially because I work with those with dementia or cog mild cognitive impairment, you don't know their abilities quite yet either. To, either so I have to kind of figure that out while I'm talking with them. Because you don't want to set them up to fail. Yeah, either. exactly. I don't want to ask part. too many yeah. hard questions or yeah. questions where they're not really sure how they feel about Maybe it. Maybe open-ended question mm -hmm. is... Yeah. That's all I ask is open-ended. would you like to share with me yeah. about yourself? Wow. Yeah. If somebody asked me that question, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, that's a hard well, question, too. you can too. then say that, and then I would lead you. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't would say that. Say? I wouldn't... I, um, one of the things that I say to people when I meet them sometimes, um, especially in coffee hour after church, I say, what's one great thing that happened to you this past week? What's something that made you happy this week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, or, what are you looking forward to this week? You know? um, Do you think... Um, you know, sometimes you say to people, you know, well, when you when you were younger, when you went on a vacation, did you ever have a vacation that you really liked? Mm -hmm. That really still you remember mm -hmm. and you can see? I mean, if somebody asked me where I was when Kennedy was killed, mm -hmm. I can tell you. I can see in my head exactly the type of day it was. It was a cloudy, misty day. Mm -hmm. I was standing between the chapel and another building on campus. Mm -hmm. I can tell you where I was when Martin Luther King was shot. I was in the commons at the seminary. Mm -hmm. I can tell you when I saw open, turned on the television and I saw that Bobby Kennedy mm -hmm. and the senator was standing here when he got shot, they said, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of those things, you know, that's what really get people going. Is. That's true. But then a, a question, and I asked this to a group of social workers when I was a, a case manager, because I was kind of disheartened by the conversation. We were in some workshop, and I forget yeah. exactly what it was. But they were talking about the toolbox, and everyone has their toolbox, and all of these things that they pull out to have these interactions with people. And I'm sitting there like, this is so incredibly stupid. Like, um, why can't you just be a human talking to a human? You know, we all have, I've had fantastic and life-changing conversations at a bus stop or sitting yeah, by someone yeah, in the yeah, metro yeah, yeah. because you just are open to someone else being in your presence. And so you don't have to overthink questions and all of these things. When we first met, it's like, oh, we just, you know, just well, in, you in an I, elevator. You and, and I, too, yeah. at that uh, meeting at, uh, oh, where was that again? Uh, um, at, uh, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. We met that night. We yeah. talked on and on and on and on. True. But it's just, it's just being open to, and, you know, 
what God brings before you and whatever, whether that's human form or something else, just being open to that experience will instantly connect you on so and that's just my thinking, right? But so well, that's but one I, of the things that we have to think about is mm-hmm. when we if we ever start a program of training people just to be open to look for something that really develop commonality. That is uh, important. If I meet somebody and they got a Green Bay Packer jacket on, yes. I can talk to them for two hours. I'm sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or somebody's got a Nats jacket on. Nats. I, I, I have a, well, I have a, a PowerPoint presentation that I do for actually some different home cares and for care managers on meaningful engagement. But mine's more, mine's, it can be, it could apply for somebody that doesn't have memory impairment, but mm-hmm. it's really for those that have memory impairment. Okay. What that meaningful engagement looks like and different things you can, ideas to use. So those but things, wait, let me just, yeah. those things then, and, and I know we need to move ahead, but those things we need to incorporate into this. That can be part of a very basic kind of assessment that perhaps, and we'll talk about the gatekeepers, can infuse into their bigger picture, and that will alert us to this is a person who can then go into this network that we create. So those are important things to list as we build the um, program a resource for us and an activity for us that we can utilize that and utilize, hopefully in part, your assessment and utilize your counseling skills and your counseling skills to come up with those basic questions that can cause some immediate sense of relation to somebody. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, piggybacking on what you said, simplicity is the key Mm -hmm. to reaching complexity. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing, your questions are very simple and basic. And I think we always tend to jump that step that's where we make our biggest mistake. So, um, yeah. very good point. Indeed. Anyway, I talked to you now. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. Um, <laughs> okay. Gabe haven't heard too much from him. She's taking it in. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, gatekeepers. So, I uncovered this term, and it seems to perhaps mean different things things um, throughout certain research, but for the most part, the gatekeepers are traditional referral agencies. So the people who, like, um, let's say a Department of Human Services or a home care agency or somebody who sees and has contact with individuals who may fall under the social isolation umbrella. So how do we, and this was mentioned very briefly uh, moments ago, then how do we influence the gatekeepers to see social isolation as an issue that they need to assess for? Like, because it's not currently, I think, or maybe on a very small scale, and I'm, uh, I can't think of the agency, Bread for the City, that has added social isolation questions onto their greater assessment. This is an agency in D.C. 
And so they understand that this is an issue and they need to capture it. Or it's just like the hospital, VHC, and I'm sure I know the system does as well. They'll um, question people on whether or not they have suicidal thoughts. But it's so cold and detached. I went there yeah. for my foot, and they were just asking me these questions. It's like, if I really was suicidal, I wouldn't say it to you right here. Yeah. You're not even looking at me as you ask the question. The it's horrible. Question to ask. It's horrible. But how do we then gently get the gatekeepers to include this as part of an assessment? And that includes us here sitting at the table because we have those touches, right? Mm -hmm. um, and formalizing, excuse me, where we can capture those people and then help those people. So that's just something to kind of think about. And then think about the points of entry. One thing that the research revealed was that for people who are isolated, particularly older adults, most of them maintain consistent contact with their health care provider. You know, he can sit on his iPad listening to old school Bollywood music for hours and he gets completely lost in it and he loves it. I could not do that if you paid me. Maybe you could pay me. <laughs> but, like, I would need to keep doing something else also. And he just, I mean, he's smiling on his face. Like, just, you can see he's enjoying that. Um, but again, like, it is, that's, he's not connecting with anybody right. when he's just doing that. You know, so my, like, in an instance like that, I'd be like, why don't you go to a concert with a friend? You know, or something like you can then offer those suggestions after you have, after we have those conversations with our clients when we're like, list me, list five things that you like doing. Yeah. And then let's slowly build and have a conversation on mm -hmm. how can we get those things done? Is it a transportation issue? Is it, you know, is it a money issue? Is there a free event? Is there a, you know, can a young person join you? Can whatever. And then that's usually how we get some sort of shift in the way that our clients are thinking or feeling or whatever it is. Um, that's been my, but I mean, that, that is a process. Like, yeah. That just no, never happens within that first hour that I meet them. It is like, you know, a second, third, like peeling back the layers yeah. when they, and trust is a big thing, oh, you know, yes. like if they don't. Question to everyone. Yeah. Are your clients and were you, when you were, um, had the surgery, open to having home visitors? Let me tell you what was one of the things that really my church decided for about 10 weeks of it or so to bring in meals. And then the people not only, they didn't just drop off the meal and run, they would come in and talk. And I really got to know some people in depth and some of their issues, but because I'm you know, I'm trained in counseling, so for years of training counseling. So, you know, I all of a sudden <laughs> flipped and, you know, they were telling me all their trials and tribulations. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that makes one feel valuable. Yes, absolutely. Because you're giving something. We all want to give something. And I think the problem that happens with people who get stuck in, you know, they can't get out, they can't give anymore. Yeah. And they, think they, they feel can. humiliated by somebody taking care of them all the time. Yeah. It takes away their humanity. So what we need to figure out is how to let people give. Mm -hmm. Even if they tell stories, 
one of the things I'm thinking of doing eventually when I retire, which I don't know when it will be, but you know, and I'm, I've got my application into Greenspring, and if I'm not working anymore, I want to just go around and get everybody's story. Sit down with people and get their life story. Just listen to their life story. So I have a job for you then. <laughs> so if you, I was going to say, so you ask, that's what I do. That's what I do is I go into people's homes and see them one-on-one and visit them, whether it's once a week or up to four times a week. So I'm physically going to them because they can't get out. Some of them are, they can go out. They just don't want to go out with their aid or they don't want to go out with other people. So if that's the goal that we, yeah. that's, that's my, that's my role to get them out. So they enjoy that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So they welcome visitors. My clients do. I've got 14 clients I see on a weekly basis. Um, some of them, as I mentioned, 14, four times a week. So their apps, they, they, it's a big smile on their face, but it's all about the trust. You know, they mm-hmm. have to get to know you, and then, mm-hmm. then they look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You too, probably, right? Yeah. So maybe part of the program could be home visit. And you know, um, Alexandria has a fantastic. They're they're oh, senior senior, senior senior the senior service yeah, of Alexandria has the the senior friendly visitor program. Yeah, or the yeah senior friendly visitor, 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 visitor. Yeah, yeah, and it's just actually through their nonprofit I know um, where they have people that volunteer. That. Yeah, oh, I will. I will funny. actually get so we, we're always here. we're always hiring caregivers, um, and every now and then we will have um, older women who are just going to be like, "Can I volunteer?" So it's not even so much because what we've seen with with our clients, it's and it's not just like oh anybody can come by and drop by. It's a lot of you know for for us when we when we partner a caregiver with a client, the hard skills that we provide as far as you know actual personal care, everyone's trained in right. So they know how to do all that, how to give a bath, how to assist with training. The art and sort of the magic of it is the personality fit, right? Um, the interest. Do they share that? Can they communicate on a level where it, the, you know, they're they're both of the both people are getting value, mm-hmm. right? Because that's my my goal is not only is my client getting value, but are my team members getting value? Um, because I don't want them just to look at it as a job. I mean, I know it's their job, but. Again, something more <coughs> should should be there to draw you to that work, um, and that, and that's kind of why I wonder even just like pairing with like young people and mm-hmm. and that when when we do our quality of life plans with our clients, we're really trying to draw out what their interests are or what they were. Um, so if I see a photo of somebody on a horse, you know, oh, do you love animals? Do you like horseback riding? Do you? It's just a conversation piece to keep going. Otherwise, they'll quickly they will quickly shut down. And be like, okay, I guess the A tier, but and we'll just, you know. Most of us who've been around a while love to talk about when we were younger. Yeah, but yeah, and it, you and probably noticed it's, that with your clients too. Right? Yeah, I mean, and I don't mind. I mean, I, I enjoy those conversations, but I think one of the things that could be universal is the questions to ask, at least those starter questions mm. to get people yeah. to open yeah. up, um, and and not make it feel like. I see you have a problem. <laughs> no, we don't want Let that. Me, let's talk about that. Um, no. But like how to, and I think that's kind of where there's a little bit more of the art. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, update, my first client interaction did not go very well. <laughs> um, but it's like over time you learn how to sort of gently talk about things or you, you 
you truly observe the environment that they're in, mm -hmm. so you can find points of connection. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, you know, that is, that's, it's practice, right? I mean, like, that's, oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I remember my first clients I had, it just was, it was not, you know, it was, it, the interaction was great, but I just kind of felt like, I'm asking the right questions, am I doing this? But then you just get a flow. So when you talk to other people, it just flows better and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like you're interviewing them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the that's beginning what, is hard. Yeah, just because you don't know. Well, and especially because I work with those with dementia or cog mild cognitive impairment, you don't know their abilities quite yet either. To, either so I have to kind of figure that out while I'm talking with them. Because you don't want to set them up to fail. Yeah, either. exactly. I don't want to ask part. too many yeah. hard questions or yeah. questions where they're not really sure how they feel about Maybe it. Maybe open-ended question mm -hmm. is, yeah. That's all I ask what is would you like to share with me yeah. about yourself? Wow. Yeah. If somebody asked me that question, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, that's a hard well, question, too. you can too. then say that, and then I would lead you. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't would say that. Say? I wouldn't... I, um, one of the things that I say to people when I meet them sometimes, um, especially in coffee hour after church, I say, what's one great thing that happened to you this past week? What's something that made you happy this week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, or, what are you looking forward to this week? You know? um, Do you think... Um, you know, Sometimes you say to people, you know, well, when you when you were younger, when you went on a vacation, did you ever have a vacation that you really liked? Mm -hmm. That really still you remember mm -hmm. and you can see? I mean, if somebody asked me where I was when Kennedy was killed, mm -hmm. I can tell you. I can see in my head exactly the type of day it was. It was a cloudy, misty day. Mm -hmm. I was standing between the chapel and another building on campus. Mm -hmm. I can tell you where I was when Martin Luther King was shot. I was in the commons at the seminary. Mm -hmm. I can tell you when I saw open, turned on the television and I saw that Bobby Kennedy mm -hmm. and the senator was standing here when he got shot, they said, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of those things, you know, that's what really get people going. Is. That's true. But then a, a question, and I asked this to a group of social workers when I was a, a case manager, because I was kind of disheartened by the conversation. We were in some workshop, and I forget yeah. exactly what it was. But they were talking about the toolbox, and everyone has their toolbox, and all of these things that they pull out to have these interactions with people. And I'm sitting there like, this is so incredibly stupid. Like, um, why can't you just be a human talking to a human? You know, we all have, I've had fantastic and life-changing conversations at a bus stop or sitting yeah, by someone yeah, in the metro yeah, yeah. because you just are open to someone else being in your presence. And so you don't have to overthink questions and all of these things. When we first met, it's like, oh, we just, you know, just well, in, you in and an I, elevator. You and, and I, too, yeah. at that uh, meeting at, uh, oh, where was that again? Uh, um, at uh, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. Yeah, we met that night. We yeah. talked on and on and on and on. True, but it's just, it's just being open to, and, you know, 
what God brings before you in whatever, whether that's human form or something else, just being open to that experience will instantly connect you on so and that's just my thinking, right? But so well, that's but one I, of the things that we have to think about is mm-hmm. when we if we ever start a program of training people just to be open to look for something that really develop commonality. That is uh, important. If I meet somebody and they got a Green Bay Packer jacket on, yes. I can talk to them for two hours. I'm sure. <laughs> you know? Actually, or if somebody's got a Nats jacket on. I mean, that's... I, I have a, well, I have a, a PowerPoint presentation that I do for actually some different home cares and for care managers on meaningful engagement. But mine's more, mine's, it can be, it could apply for somebody that doesn't have memory impairment, but mm-hmm. it's really for those that have memory impairment. Okay. What that meaningful engagement looks like and different things you can, ideas to use. So those but things, wait, let me just, yeah. those things then, and, and I know we need to move ahead, but those things we need to incorporate into this. That can be part of a very basic kind of assessment that perhaps, and we'll talk about the gatekeepers, can infuse into their bigger picture, and that will alert us to this is a person who can then go into this network that we create. So those are important things to list as we build the um, program, a resource for us and an activity for us that we can utilize that and utilize, hopefully in part, your assessment and utilize your counseling skills and your counseling skills to come up with those basic questions that can cause some immediate sense of relation to somebody. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. What I was just going to say, piggybacking on what you said, simplicity is the key Mm -hmm. to reaching complexity. And what you're doing, your questions are very simple and basic. And I think we always tend to jump that step that's where we make our biggest mistake. So, um, yeah. very good point. Indeed. Anyway, I talked to you now. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. Um, okay. Gabe not heard too much from him. She's taking it in. <laughs> so, uh, gatekeepers. So, I uncovered this term, and it seems to perhaps mean different things um, throughout certain research, but for the most part, the gatekeepers are traditional referral agencies. So the people who, like, um, let's say, a Department of Human Services or a home care agency or somebody who sees and has contact with individuals who may fall under the social isolation umbrella. So how do we, and this was mentioned very briefly uh, moments ago, then how do we influence the gatekeepers to see social isolation as an issue that they need to assess for? Like, because it's not currently, I think, or maybe on a very small scale, and I'm, uh, I can't think of the agency, Bread for the City, that has added social isolation questions onto their greater assessment. This is an agency in D.C. 
And so they understand that this is an issue and they need to capture it. Or it's just like the hospital, VHC, and I'm sure I know the system does it well. They'll um, question people on whether or not they have suicidal thoughts. But it's so cold and detached. I went there yeah. for my foot, and they were just asking me these questions. It's like, if I really was suicidal, I wouldn't say it to you right here. Yeah. You're not even looking at me as you I ask think the that's question. The it's horrible. Question to ask. It's horrible. But how do we then gently get the gatekeepers to include this as part of an assessment? And that includes us here sitting at the table because we have those touches, right? Mm -hmm. um, and formalizing, excuse me, where we can capture those people and then help those people. So that's just something to kind of think about. And then think about the points of entry. One thing that the research revealed was that for people who are isolated, particularly older adults, most of them maintain consistent contact with their health care provider. You know, he can sit on his iPad listening to old school Bollywood music for hours and he gets completely lost in it, and he loves it, I could not do that if you paid me. Maybe if you paid me. <laughs> but, like, I would need to keep doing something else also. And he just, I mean, he's smiling on his face. Like, just, you can see he's enjoying that. Um, but again, like, it is, that's, he's not connecting with anybody right. when he's just doing that. You know, so my, like, in an instance like that, I'd be like, why don't you go to a concert with a friend? You know, or something like you can then offer those suggestions after you have, after we have those conversations with our clients when we're like, list me, list five things that you like doing. Yeah. And then let's slowly build and have a conversation on mm -hmm. how can we get those things done? Is it a transportation issue? Is it, you know, is it a money issue? Is there a free event? Is there a, you know, can a young person join you? Can whatever. And then that's usually how we get some sort of shift in the way that our clients are thinking or feeling or whatever it is. Um, that's been my, but I mean, that, that is a process. Like yeah. that just no, never happens within that first hour that I meet them. It is like, you know, a second, third, like peeling back the layers yeah. when they, and trust is a big thing, oh, you know, yes. like if they don't. Question to everyone. Yeah. Are your clients and were you, when you were, um, had a surgery, open to having home visitors? Let me tell you what was one of the things that really my church decided for about 10 weeks of it or so to bring in meals. And then the people not only, they didn't just drop off the meal and run, they would come in and talk. And I really got to know some people in depth and some of their issues, but because I'm you know, I'm trained in counseling, so for years of training counseling. So, you know, I all of a sudden flipped <laughs> and, you know, they were telling me all their trials and tribulations. Oh, yeah. But that makes one feel valuable. Yes, absolutely. Because you're giving something. We all want to give something. And I think the problem that happens with people who get stuck in, you know, they can't get out, they can't give anymore. Yeah. And they, think they, they feel can. humiliated by somebody taking care of them all the time. Yeah. It takes away their humanity. So what we need to figure out is how to let people give. Mm -hmm. Even if they 
tell stories. One of the things I'm thinking of doing eventually when I retire, which I don't know when it will be, but you know, and I'm, I've got my application into Greenspring, and if I'm not working anymore, I want to just go around and get everybody's story. Sit down with people and get their life story. Just listen to their life story. So I have a job for you then. <laughs> so if you, I was going to say, so you ask, that's what I do. That's what I do is I go into people's homes and see them one-on-one -on -one and visit them, whether it's once a week or up to four times a week. So I'm physically going to them because they can't get out. Some of them are, they can go out. They just don't want to go out with their aid or they don't want to go out with other people. So if that's the goal, that we, yeah. that's, that's, my, that's my role to get them out. So they enjoy that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So they welcome visitors. My clients do. I've got 14 clients I see on a weekly basis. Um, some of them, as I mentioned, 14, four times a week. So their apps, they, they, it's a big smile on their face, but it's all about the trust. You know, they mm -hmm. have to get to know you and then, mm -hmm. then they look forward to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You too, probably, right? Yeah. So maybe part of the program could be home visit. And you know, um, Alexandria has a fantastic, they're, they're oh, senior, 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 the senior service yeah, of Alexandria I, has the, the senior friendly visitor program. Yeah, or the yeah senior friendly visitor, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it's just actually through their nonprofit um, no where they have people that volunteer. That. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I will, I will actually get, so we, we're, always, here. we're always hiring caregivers. Um, and every now and then we will have um, older women who are just going to be like, can I volunteer? So it's not even so much because what we've seen with, with our clients, it's, and it's not just like, oh, anybody can come by and drop by. It's a lot of, you know, for, for us, when we, when we partner a caregiver with a client, the hard skills that we provide as far as, you know, actual personal care, everyone's trained in, right? So they know how to do all that, how to give a bath, how to assist with training. Right. The art and sort of the magic of it is the personality fit, right? Um, the interest. Do they share that? Can they communicate on a level where it, the, you know, they're they're both of the both people are getting value, right? Because that's my my goal is not only is my client getting value, but are my team members getting value? Um, because I don't want them just to look at it as a job. I mean, I know it's their job, but. Again, something more <coughs> should should be there to draw you to that work, um, and that, and that's kind of why I wonder even just like pairing with like young people and mm -hmm. and that when when we do our quality of life plans with our clients, we're really trying to draw out what their interests are or what they were. Um, so if I see a photo of somebody on a horse, you know, oh, do you love animals? Do you like horseback riding? Do you? It's just a conversation piece to keep going. Otherwise, they'll quickly they will quickly shut down. And be like, oh, okay, I guess the aid's here, but I know what it, you know. Most of us who've been around a while love to talk about when we were younger. Yeah, but yeah, and it, you and probably it's, noticed it's, that with your clients too. Right? Yeah, I mean, and I don't mind. I mean, I, I enjoy those conversations, but I think one of the things that could be universal is the questions to ask, at least those starter questions mm. to get people yeah. to open yeah. up, um, and and not make it feel like. I see you have a problem. <laughs> no, we don't want Let that. Me, let's talk about that. Um, no. But like how to, and I think that's kind of where there's a little bit more of the art. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I'll, my first client interaction did not go very well. <laughs> um, but it's like over time you learn how to sort of gently talk about things or you, you 
you truly observe the environment that they're in mm -hmm. so you can find points of connection. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, you know, that is, that's, it's practice, right? I mean, like, oh yeah, it's, it's definitely, I remember my first clients I had, it just was, it was not, you know, it was, it, the interaction was great, but I just kind of felt like I'm asking the right questions. I'm doing this, but then you just get a flow. So when you talk to other people, it just flows better and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like you're interviewing them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the that's beginning what, is hard. Yeah, just because you don't know. Well, and especially because I work with those with dementia or cog mild cognitive impairment, you don't know their abilities quite yet either. To, either so I have to kind of figure that out while I'm talking with them. Because you don't want to set them up to fail. Yeah, either. exactly. I don't want to ask part. too many yeah. hard questions or yeah. questions where they're not really sure how they feel about Maybe it. Maybe open-ended question mm -hmm. is... That's all I ask is open-ended. What would you like to share with me yeah. about yourself? Wow. Yeah. If somebody asked me that question, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, that's a hard well, question, too. Well, you can too. then say that, and then I would lead you. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't what would say you that. say? I wouldn't... I, um, one of the things that I say to people when I meet them sometimes, um, especially in coffee hour after church, I say, what's one great thing that happened to you this past week? What's something that made you happy this week? What are you looking forward to this week? You know? um, Do you think... Um, you know, Sometimes you say to people, you know, well, when you when you were younger, when you went on a vacation, did you ever have a vacation that you really liked? Mm -hmm. That really still you remember mm -hmm. and you can see? I mean, if somebody asked me where I was when Kennedy was killed, mm -hmm. I can tell you, I can see in my head exactly the type of day it was. It was a cloudy, misty day. Mm -hmm. I was standing between the chapel and another building on campus. Mm -hmm. I can tell you where I was when Martin Luther King was shot. I was in the commons at the seminary. Mm -hmm. I can tell you when I saw open, turned on the television and I saw that Bobby Kennedy mm -hmm. and the senator was standing here when he got shot, they said, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of those things, you know, that's what really get people going. Is. That's true. But then a, a question, and I asked this to a group of social workers when I was a, a case manager, because I was kind of disheartened by the conversation. We were in some workshop, and I forget yeah. exactly what it was. But they were talking about the toolbox, and everyone has their toolbox, and all of these things that they pull out to have these interactions with people. And I'm sitting there like, this is so incredibly stupid. Like, um, why can't you just be a human talking to a human? You know, we all have, I've had fantastic and life-changing conversations at a bus stop or sitting yeah, by someone yeah, in the yeah, metro yeah, yeah. because you just are open to someone else being in your presence. And so you don't have to overthink questions and all of these things. When we first met, it's like, oh, we just, you know, just well, in, you in an I, elevator. You and, and I, too, yeah. at that uh, meeting at, uh, oh, where was that again? Uh, um, at, uh, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. We met that night. We yeah. talked on and on and on and on. True, but it's just, it's just being open to, and, you know, 
what God brings before you in whatever, whether that's human form or something else, just being open to that experience will instantly connect you on so and that's just my thinking, right? But so well, that's but one I, of the things that we have to think about is mm-hmm. when we if we ever start a program of training people just to be open to look for something that really develop commonality. That is uh, important. If I meet somebody and they got a Green Bay Packer jacket on, yes. I can talk to them for two hours. I'm sure. <laughs> you know? Actually, yeah. I have a Somebody's got a Nats jacket on. Nats. I have a PowerPoint presentation that I do for actually some different home cares and for care managers on meaningful engagement. But mine's more, mine's, it can be, it could apply for somebody that doesn't have memory impairment, but mm-hmm. it's really for those that have memory impairment. Okay. What that meaningful engagement looks like and different things you can, ideas to use. So those but things, wait, let me just, yeah, those ahead. things then, and, and I know we need to move ahead, but those things we need to incorporate into this. That can be part of a very basic kind of assessment that perhaps, and we'll talk about the gatekeepers, can infuse into their bigger picture, and that will alert us to this is a person who can then go into this network that we create. So those are important things to list as we build the um, program, a resource for us and an activity for us that we can utilize that and utilize, hopefully in part, your assessment and utilize your counseling skills and your counseling skills to come up with those basic questions that can cause some immediate sense of relation to somebody. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. What I was just going to say, piggybacking on what you said, simplicity is the key Mm. to reaching complexity. Mm. And what you're doing, your questions are very simple and basic. And I think we always tend to jump that step that's where we make our biggest mistake. So, um, yeah, very good point. Indeed. Anyway, I talked enough. Yeah, <laughs> we all do. Um, okay, Gabe haven't heard too much from. Mm-hmm. She's taking it in. <laughs> so, uh, gatekeepers. So, I uncovered this term, and it seems to perhaps mean different things um, throughout certain research, but for the most part, the gatekeepers are traditional referral agencies. So the people who, like, um, let's say a Department of Human Services or a home care agency or somebody who sees and has contact with individuals who may fall under the social isolation umbrella. So how do we, and this was mentioned very briefly uh, moments ago, then how do we influence the gatekeepers to see social isolation as an issue that they need to assess for? Like, because it's not currently, I think, or maybe on a very small scale, and I'm, uh, I can't think of the agency, Bread for the City, that has added social isolation questions onto their greater assessment. This is an agency in D.C. 
And so they understand that this is an issue and they need to capture it. Or it's just like the hospital, VHC, and I'm sure I know the system does as well. They'll um, question people on whether or not they have suicidal thoughts. But it's so cold and detached. I went there yeah. for my foot, and they were just asking me these questions. It's like, if I really was suicidal, I wouldn't say it to you right here. Yeah. You're not even looking at me as you I ask think the question. It's horrible. To ask. It's horrible. But how do we then gently get the gatekeepers to include this as part of an assessment? And that includes us here sitting at the table because we have those touches, right? Mm -hmm. um, and formalizing, excuse me, where we can capture those people and then help those people. So that's just something to kind of think about. And then think about the points of entry. One thing that the research revealed was that for people who are isolated, particularly older adults, most of them maintain consistent contact with their healthcare provider. You know, he can sit on his iPad listening to old school Bollywood music for hours and he gets completely lost in it and he loves it. I could not do that if you paid me. Maybe you could pay me. But, like, I would need to keep doing something else also. And he just, I mean, he's smiling on his face. Like, just, you can see he's enjoying that. Um, but again, like, it is, that's, he's not connecting with anybody right. when he's just doing that. You know, so my, like, in an instance like that, I'd be like, why don't you go to a concert with a friend? You know, or something like you can then offer those suggestions after you have, after we have those conversations with our clients, when we're like, list me, list five things that you like doing. Yeah. And then let's slowly build and have a conversation on mm -hmm. how can we get those things done? Is it a transportation issue? Is it, you know, is it a money issue? Is there a free event? Is there a, you know, can a young person join you? Can mm -hmm. whatever. And then that's usually how we get some sort of shift in the way that our clients are thinking or feeling or whatever it is. Um, that's been my, but I mean, that, that is a process. Like yeah. that just that never happens within that first hour that I meet them. It is like, you know, a second, third, like peeling back the layers yeah. when they, and trust is a big thing, oh, you know, yes. like if they don't, to everyone. Mm -hmm. yeah. are your clients and were you, when you were, um, had the surgery open to having home visitors? Let me tell you what was one of the things that really my church decided for about 10 weeks of it or so to bring in meals. And then the people not only, they didn't just drop off the meal and run, they would come in and talk. And I really got to know some people in depth and some of their issues, but because I'm you know, I'm trained in counseling, so for years of training counseling. So, you know, I all of a sudden <laughs> flipped and, you know, they were telling me all their trials and tribulations. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that makes one feel valuable. Yes, absolutely. Because you're giving something. We all want to give something. And I think the problem that happens with people who get stuck in, you know, they can't get out, they can't give anymore. Yeah. And they, think they, they feel can. humiliated by somebody taking care of them all the time. Yeah. It takes away their humanity. So what we need to figure out is how to let people give. Mm -hmm. Even if they tell stories, you know, 
one of the things I'm thinking of doing eventually when I retire, which I don't know when it will be, but you know, and I'm, I've got my application into Greenspring, and if I'm not working anymore, I want to just go around and get everybody's story. Sit down with people and get their life story. Just listen to their life story. So I have a job for you then. <laughs> so if you, I was going to say, so you ask, that's what I do. That's what I do is I go into people's homes and see them one-on-one and visit them, whether it's once a week or up to four times a week. So I'm physically going to them because they can't get out. Some of them are, they can go out. They just don't want to go out with their aid or they don't want to go out with other people. So if that's the goal that we, yeah. that's, that's my, that's my role to get them out. So they enjoy that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So they welcome visitors. My clients do. I've got 14 clients I see on a weekly basis. Um, some of them, as I mentioned, 14, four times a week. So they're apps, they, they, it's a big smile on their face, but it's all about the trust. You know, they mm-hmm. have to get to know you and then, mm-hmm. then they look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You too, probably, right? Yeah. So maybe part of the program could be home visit. And you know, um, Alexandria has a fantastic, they're, they're oh, senior, 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 the senior service yeah, of Alexandria I, has the, the senior friendly visitor program. Yeah, or the yeah senior friendly visitor, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it's just actually through their nonprofit I know um, where they have people that volunteer. That. Yeah. Oh, I will, I will actually get, so we, we're always, here. we're always hiring caregivers. Um, and every now and then we will have, um, older women who are just going to be like, can I volunteer? So it's not even so much because what we've seen with, with our clients, it's, and it's not just like, oh, anybody can come by and drop by. It's a lot of, you know, for, for us, when we, when we partner a caregiver with a client, the hard skills that we provide as far as, you know, actual personal care, everyone's trained in, right? So they know how to do all that, how to give a bath, how to assist with training. The art and sort of the magic of it is the personality fit, right? Um, the interest. Do they share that? Can they communicate on a level where it, the, you know, they're, they're both of the both people are getting value, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. that's my my goal is not only is my client getting value, but are my team members getting value? Um, because I don't want them just to look at it as a job. I mean, I know it's their job, but. Again, something more <coughs> should should be there to draw you to that work, um, and that, and that's kind of why I wonder even just like pairing with like young people and mm-hmm. and that when when we do our quality of life plans with our client, we're really trying to draw out what their interests are or what they were. Um, so if I see a photo of somebody on a horse, you know, oh, do you love animals? Do you like horseback riding? Do you? It's just a conversation piece to keep going. Otherwise, they'll quickly they will quickly shut down. And be like, oh, okay, I guess the aid's here, but and we'll just, you know. Most of us who've been around a while love to talk about when we were younger. Yeah, but yeah, and it, you and probably it's, noticed it's, that with your guys too. Right? Yeah, I mean, and I don't mind. I mean, I, I enjoy those conversations, but I think one of the things that could be universal is the questions to ask. At least those starter questions mm. to get people yeah. to open yeah. up, um, and and not make it feel like. I see you have a problem. <laughs> no, we don't want Let that. Me, let's talk about that. Um, no. But like how to, and I think that's kind of where there's a little bit more of the art. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I'll, my first client interaction did not go very well. <laughs> um, but it's like over time you learn how to sort of gently talk about things or you, you, you truly observe the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. 
so you can find points of connection. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, you know, that is, that's, it's practice, right? I mean, like, oh yeah, it's, it's definitely, I remember my first clients I had, <laughs> it just was, it was not, you know, it was, it, the interaction was great, but I just kind of felt like I'm asking the right questions. Am I doing this? But then you just get a flow. So when you talk to other people, it just flows better and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like you're interviewing them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the that's beginning what, is hard. Yeah. Just cause you don't know. Well, and especially cause I work with those with dementia or cog mild cognitive impairment, you don't know their abilities quite yet either to either. So I have to kind of figure that out while I'm talking with them. Cause you don't want to set them up to fail. Yeah, either. exactly. I don't want to ask part. too many yeah. hard questions or yeah. questions where they're not really sure how they feel about Maybe it. Maybe open ended question mm -hmm. is, yeah. that's all I ask is open ended. What would you like to share with me yeah. about yourself? Wow. Yeah. yeah. If somebody asked me that question, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, that's a hard well, question, too. you can too. then say that, and then I would lead you. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't would say that. Say? I wouldn't... I, um, one of the things that I say to people when I meet them sometimes, um, especially in coffee hour after church, I say, what's one great thing that happened to you this past week? What's something that made you happy this week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, what are you looking forward to this week? You know. Um, Do you think? Um, you know, sometimes you say to people, you know, well, when you when you were younger, when you went on a vacation, did you ever have a vacation that you really liked? Mm -hmm. It really still you remember mm -hmm. and you can see I mean if somebody asked me where I was when Kennedy was killed mm -hmm. I can tell you I can see in my head exactly the type of day it was it was a cloudy misty day mm -hmm. I was standing between the chapel and another building on campus mm -hmm. I can tell you where I was when Martin Luther King was shot I was in the commons at the seminary I can tell you when I saw open turned on the television and I saw that Bobby Kennedy mm -hmm. and the senator was standing here when he got shot, they said, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of those things, you know, that's what really get people going. Is. That's true. But then a, a question, and I asked this to a group of social workers when I was a, a case manager, because I was kind of disheartened by the conversation. We were in some workshop, and I forget yeah. exactly what it was. But they were talking about the toolbox, and everyone has their toolbox, and all of these things that they pull out to have these interactions with people. And I'm sitting there like, this is so incredibly stupid. Like, um, why can't you just be a human talking to a human? You know, we all have, I've had fantastic and life-changing conversations at a bus stop or sitting yeah, by someone yeah, in the metro, yeah, yeah. because you just are open to someone else being in your presence. And so you don't have to overthink questions and all of these things. When we first met, it's like, oh, we just, you know, just well, in, you in an I, elevator. You and, and I, too, yeah. at that uh, meeting at, uh, oh, where was that again? Uh, um, at, uh, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. We met that night. We yeah. Talked on and on and on and on. True, but it's just it's just being open to and you know, 
what God brings before you in whatever, whether that's human form or something else, just being open to that experience will instantly connect you on so and that's just my thinking, right? But so, so that's one I, of the things that we have to think about is mm-hmm. when we if we ever start a program of training people just to be open to look for something that really develop commonality. That is uh, important. If I meet somebody mm-hmm. and they got a Green Bay Packer jacket on, yes. I can <laughs> talk to them for two hours. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Or somebody's got on, a Nats jacket on. Nats. Well, I have a, a PowerPoint presentation that I do for actually some different home cares and for care managers on meaningful engagement. But mine's more, mine's a, it can be, it could apply for somebody that doesn't have memory impairment, but mm-hmm. it's really for those that have memory impairment. Okay. What that meaningful engagement looks like and different things you can, ideas to use. So those but things, wait, let me just, yeah. those things then, and, and I know we need to move ahead, but those things we need to incorporate into this. That can be part of a very basic kind of assessment that perhaps, and we'll talk about the gatekeepers, can infuse into their bigger picture, and that will alert us to this is a person who can then go into this network that we create. So those are important things to list as we build the um, program, a resource for us and an activity for us that we can utilize that and utilize, hopefully, in part, your assessment and utilize your counseling skills and your counseling skills to come up with those basic questions that can cause some immediate sense of relation to somebody. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. What I was just going to say, piggybacking on what you said, simplicity is the key Mm -hmm. to reaching complexity. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing, your questions are very simple and basic. And I think we always tend to jump that step that's where we make our biggest mistake. So, um, yeah. very good point. Indeed. Anyway, I talked to you now. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. Um, okay. Gabe haven't heard too much from him. She's taking it in. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, gatekeepers. So, I uncovered this term, and it seems to perhaps mean different things um, throughout certain research, but for the most part, the gatekeepers are traditional referral agencies. So the people who, like, um, let's say, a Department of Human Services or a home care agency or somebody who sees and has contact with individuals who may fall under the social isolation umbrella. So how do we, and this was mentioned very briefly uh, moments ago, then how do we influence the gatekeepers to see social isolation as an issue that they need to assess for? Like, because it's not currently, I think, or maybe on a very small scale, and I'm, uh, I can't think of the agency, Bread for the City, that has added social isolation questions onto their greater assessment. This is an agency in D.C. 
And so they understand that this is an issue and they need to capture it. Or it's just like the hospital, VHC, and I'm sure I know the system does as well. They'll um, question people on whether or not they have suicidal thoughts. But it's so cold and detached. I went there yeah. for my foot, and they were just asking me this question. It's like, if I really was suicidal, I wouldn't say it to you right here. Yeah. You're not even looking at me as you well, ask the question. It's horrible. It's horrible. But how do we then gently get the gatekeepers to include this as part of an assessment? And that includes us here sitting at the table because we have those touches, right? Mm -hmm. um, and formalizing, excuse me, where we can capture those people and then help those people. So that's just something to kind of think about. And then think about the points of entry. One thing that the research revealed was that for people who are isolated, particularly older adults, most of them maintain consistent contact with their healthcare provider. You know, he can sit on his iPad listening to old school Bollywood music for hours and he gets completely lost in it, and he loves it, I could not do that if you paid me. Maybe you could pay me, <laughs> but like, I would need to keep doing something else also. And he just, I mean, he's smiling on his face. Like, just, you can see he's enjoying that. Um, but again, like, it is, that's, he's not connecting with anybody right. when he's just doing that. You know, so my, like, in an instance like that, I'd be like, why don't you go to a concert with a friend? You know, or something like you can then offer those suggestions after you have, after we have those conversations with our clients when we're like, list me, list five things that you like doing. Yeah. And then let's slowly build and have a conversation on mm -hmm. how can we get those things done? Is it a transportation issue? Is it, you know, is it a money issue? Is there a free event? Is there a, you know, can a young person join you? Can whatever. And then that's usually how we get some sort of shift in the way that our clients are thinking or feeling or whatever it is. Um, that's been my, but I mean, that, that is a process. Like yeah. that just no, that never not. happens within that first hour that I meet them. It is like, you know, a second, third, like peeling back the layers yeah. when they, and trust is a big thing, oh, you know, yes. like if they don't. To everyone. Yeah. Are your clients and you, when you were, um, had the surgery open to having home visitors? Let me tell you what was one of the things that really my church decided for about 10 weeks of it or so to bring in meals. And then the people not only, they didn't just drop off the meal and run, they would come in and talk. And I really got to know some people in depth and some of their issues, but because I'm you know, I'm trained in counseling, so for years of training counseling. So, you know, I all of a sudden <laughs> flipped and, you know, they were telling me all their trials and tribulations. Oh, yeah. But that makes one feel valuable. Yes, absolutely. Because you're giving something. We all want to give something. And I think the problem that happens with people who get stuck in, you know, they can't get out, they can't give anymore. Yeah. And they, think they, they feel can. humiliated by somebody taking care of them all the time. Yeah. It takes away their humanity. So what we need to figure out is how to let people give. Mm -hmm. Even if they tell stories. 
one of the things I'm thinking of doing eventually when I retire, which I don't know when it will be, but you know, and I'm, I've got my application into Greenspring, and if I'm not working anymore, I want to just go around and get everybody's story. Sit down with people and get their life story. Just listen to their life story. So I have a job for you there. <laughs> so I, you, I was going to say, so you asked, that's what I do. That's what I do is I go into people's homes and see them one-on-one and visit them, whether it's once a week or up to four times a week. So I'm physically going to them because they can't get out. Some of them are, they can go out. They just don't want to go out with their aid or they don't want to go out with other people. So if that's the goal, that we, yeah. that's, that's, my, that's my role to get them out. So they enjoy that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So they welcome visitors. My clients do. I've got 14 clients I see on a weekly basis. Um, some of them, as I mentioned, 14, four times a week. So their apps, they, they, it's a big smile on their face, but it's all about the trust. You know, they mm-hmm. have to get to know you, and then, mm-hmm. then they look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You too, probably, right? Yeah. So maybe part of the program could be home visit. And you know, um, Alexandria has a fantastic. They're they're oh, senior senior, senior, senior the senior service yeah, of Alexandria I, has the the senior friendly visitor program. Yeah, or the yeah senior friendly visitor, 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 visitor. Yeah, yeah, and it's just actually per, through their nonprofit I know um, where they have people that volunteer. That. Yeah, oh, I will. I will funny. actually get so we, we're always here. we're always hiring caregivers, um, and every now and then we will have um, older women who are just gonna be like, "Can I volunteer?" So it's not even so much because what we've seen with with our clients, it's and it's not just like oh anybody can come by and drop by. It's a lot of you know for for us when we when we partner a caregiver with a client, the hard skills that we provide as far as you know actual personal care, everyone's trained in right. So they know how to do all that, how to give a bath, how to assist with training. The art and sort of the magic of it is the personality fit, right? Um, the interest. Do they share that? Can they communicate on a level where it, the, you know, they're, they're both of the both people are getting value, mm-hmm. right? Because that's my my goal is not only is my client getting value, but are my team members getting value? Um, because I don't want them just to look at it as a job. I mean, I know it's their job, but. Again, something more <coughs> should should be there to draw you to that work, um, and that, and that's kind of why I wonder even just like pairing with like young people and mm-hmm. and that when when we do our quality of life plans with our clients, we're really trying to draw out what their interests are or what they were. Um, so if I see a photo of somebody on a horse, you know, oh, do you love animals? Do you like horseback riding? Do you? It's just a conversation piece to keep going. Otherwise, they'll quickly they will quickly shut down. Be like, okay, I guess the aid's here, but and we'll just, you know. Most of us who've been around a while love to talk about when we were younger. Yeah, but yeah, and it, you and probably it's, noticed it's, that with your clients too. Right? Yeah, I mean, and I don't mind. I mean, I, I enjoy those conversations, but I think one of the things that could be universal is the questions to ask, at least those starter questions mm. to get people yeah. to open yeah. up, um, and and not make it feel like. I see you have a problem. No, we don't want <laughs> Let me, that. Let's talk about that. Um, no. But like how to, and I think that's kind of where there's a little bit more of the art. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, update, my first client interaction did not go very well. <laughs> um, but it's like over time you learn how to sort of gently talk about things or you, you, you truly observe the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. 
so you can find points of connection. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think, you know, that is, that's, it's practice, right? I mean, like, that's, oh yeah, it's, it's definitely, I remember my first clients I had, it just was, it was not, you know, it was, it, the interaction was great, but I just kind of felt like I'm asking the right questions. Am I doing this? But then you just get a flow. So when you talk to other people, it just flows better and mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like you're interviewing them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the beginning what, is hard. Yeah, just because you don't know. Well, I, and especially because I work with those with dementia or cog mild cognitive impairment, you don't know their abilities quite yet either. To, either so I have to kind of figure that out while I'm talking with them. Because you don't want to set them up to fail. Yeah, either. exactly. I don't want to ask part. too many yeah. hard questions or yeah. questions where they're not really sure how so they feel about maybe it. Maybe open-ended question mm -hmm. is, yeah. That's all I ask what would is you like to share with me yeah. about yourself? Wow. Yeah. If somebody asked me that question, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, that's a hard well, question, too. Well, you can too. then say that, and then I would lead you. No, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I wouldn't would say that. Say? I wouldn't... I, um, one of the things that I say to people when I meet them sometimes, um, especially in coffee hour after church, I say, what's one great thing that happened to you this past week? What's something that made you happy this week? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, or, what are you looking forward to this week? You know? um, Do you think... Um, you know, Sometimes you say to people, you know, well, when you when you were younger, when you went on a vacation, did you ever have a vacation that you really liked? Mm -hmm. That really still you remember mm -hmm. and you can see? I mean, if somebody asked me where I was when Kennedy was killed, mm -hmm. I can tell you, I can see in my head exactly the type of day it was. It was a cloudy, misty day. Mm -hmm. I was standing between the chapel and another building on campus. Mm -hmm. I can tell you where I was when Martin Luther King was shot. I was in the commons at the seminary. Mm -hmm. I can tell you when I saw open, turned on the television and I saw that Bobby Kennedy mm -hmm. and the senator was standing here when he got shot, they said, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of those things, you know, that's what really get people going. Is. That's true. But then a, a question, and I asked this to a group of social workers when I was a, a case manager, because I was kind of disheartened by the conversation. We were in some workshop, and I forget yeah. exactly what it was. But they were talking about the toolbox, and everyone has their toolbox, and all of these things that they pull out to have these interactions with people. And I'm sitting there like, this is so incredibly stupid. Like, um, why can't you just be a human talking to a human? You know, we all have, I've had fantastic and life-changing conversations at a bus stop or sitting yeah, by someone yeah, in the metro yeah, yeah. because you just are open to someone else being in your presence. And so you don't have to overthink questions and all of these things. When we first met, it's like, oh, we just, you know, just well, in, you in an I, elevator. You and, and I, too, yeah. at that uh, meeting at, uh, oh, where was that again? Uh, um, at, uh, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. Yeah, Chesterbrook. We met that night. We yeah. talked on and on and on and on. True, but it's just, it's just being open to, and, you know, 
what God brings before you in whatever, whether that's human form or something else, just being open to that experience will instantly connect you on so and that's just my thinking, right? But so well, that's but one I, of the things that we have to think about is mm-hmm. when we if we ever start a program of training people just to be open to look for something that really develop commonality. That is uh, important. If I meet somebody and they got a Green Bay Packer jacket on, yes. I can talk to them for two hours. I'm sure. <laughs> you know? Actually, yeah, somebody's got a Nats jacket on. I have a PowerPoint presentation that I do for actually some different home cares and for care managers on meaningful engagement. But mine's more, mine's a, it can be, it could apply for somebody that doesn't have memory impairment, but mm-hmm. it's really for those that have memory impairment. Okay. What that meaningful engagement looks like and different things you can, ideas to use. So those but things, wait, let me just, yeah. those things then, and, and I know we need to move ahead, but those things we need to incorporate into this. That can be part of a very basic kind of assessment that perhaps, and we'll talk about the gatekeepers, can infuse into their bigger picture, and that will alert us to this is a person who can then go into this network that we create. So those are important things to list as we build the um, program, a resource for us and an activity for us that we can utilize that and utilize, hopefully in part, your assessment and utilize your counseling skills and your counseling skills to come up with those basic questions that can cause some immediate sense of relation to somebody. So, I'm sorry, go ahead. What I was just going to say, piggybacking on what you said, simplicity is the key Mm. to reaching complexity. Mm. And what you're doing, your questions are very simple and basic. And I think we always tend to jump that step that's where we make our biggest mistake. So, um, yeah. very good point. Indeed. Anyway, I talked to you now. Yeah. <laughs> we all do. Um, okay. Gave on hers too much from. Mm-hmm. She's taking it in. <laughs> so, uh, gatekeepers. So, I uncovered this term, and it seems to perhaps mean different things um, throughout certain research, but for the most part, the gatekeepers are traditional referral agencies. So the people who, like, um, let's say, a Department of Human Services or a home care agency or somebody who sees and has contact with individuals who may fall under the social isolation umbrella. So how do we, and this was mentioned very briefly uh, moments ago, then how do we influence the gatekeepers to see social isolation as an issue that they need to assess for? Like, because it's not currently, I think, or maybe on a very small scale, and I'm, uh, I can't think of the agency, Bread for the City, that has added social isolation questions onto their greater assessment. This is an agency in D.C. 
And so they understand that this is an issue and they need to capture it. Or it's just like the hospital, VHC, and I'm sure I know the system does it well. They'll um, question people on whether or not they have suicidal thoughts. But it's so cold and detached. I went there mm -hmm. for my foot, and they were just asking me these questions. It's like, if I really was suicidal, I wouldn't say it to you right here. Yeah. You're not even looking at me as you I ask the question. It's horrible. Question to ask. It's horrible. But how do we then gently get the gatekeepers to include this as part of an assessment? And that includes us here sitting at the table because we have those touches, right? Mm -hmm. um, and formalizing, excuse me, where we can capture those people and then help those people. So that's just something to kind of think about. And then think about the points of entry. One thing that the research revealed was that for people who are isolated, particularly older adults, most of them maintain consistent contact with their health care provider. Mm -hmm.